0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible is opened up to Proverbs the 7th chapter and I'm going to invite you to be opening up your Bible to Proverbs chapter 7 and be ready to follow along with me. We'll be looking at a number of different passages in the Old Testament and in the New Testament today and so you'll really be helped and you'll really be encouraged by following along in the Scriptures. It's going to begin in Proverbs chapter 7 appreciate very much the opportunity to stand before you today and to present some things from the Word of God. We are right here in the thick of summertime and in kind of the spirit of summer. I'd like to talk about something that I think is very appropriate at summertime. Certainly it's appropriate at all times, but it seems like at this particular time of year it's really essential that we talk about this subject. And we're going to talk about that beginning in Proverbs chapter 7. Read with me, if you will, here as the wise man is describing the adulterous woman and the various tactics that she employs to seduce the young man. The wise man says in Proverbs 7 and verse 10, he says, Behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. Have you ever noticed just how much the Bible has to say about clothes? About what it is that people wear? Think about it. John the Baptist, we are told, wore a very distinctive outfit made out of camel's hair. Jesus wore a seamless tunic that was valuable enough that the soldiers actually gambled for it at the foot of the cross. Joseph very famously wore a coat of many colors and it made his brothers quite envious of him. The priest's garments in the Old Testament were so elaborate that it takes 43 verses in Exodus chapter 28 to describe those garments. And then, of course, in heaven, in heaven it is said that we will wear robes of white. All throughout the Bible there is discussion and attention given to clothes. And the reason the Bible does that, I believe, is because God wants us to see that there is a connection with what we wear outwardly and who we are inwardly. In fact, that's why I began in Proverbs chapter 7 and in verse 10, talking about that adulterous woman. Because her clothes make a statement, don't they? They make a statement about her heart. Who she is on the inside, it is revealed by how she dresses on the outside. The Bible demonstrates again and again that there is a clear connection between your clothing and your heart. Unfortunately, of course, we are living in a time when our society seems to celebrate the attire of the harlot. For example, we have restaurants that advertise not so much their food, but the fact that they have waitresses who are dressed scantily. Sports Illustrated every year right around this time, they have great success whenever they unleash and let out their swimsuit edition where women are dressed very provocatively. And not to be outdone by that, ESPN the magazine every year, they put out their body issue in which famous athletes wear no clothing. And of course, it's not just a problem with adults. One company did a survey of 15 major department stores. They found that of little children's clothing, that it is increasingly difficult to find modest apparel. In this study, they found that almost one third of all clothing sold to toddlers and preteens had sexualized features that were designed to reveal and accentuate a sexual part of the body, i.e., the chest or the bottom. That's the world we live in. That's the way things are. Everything is sold with sex and sensuality, and of course, that affects how people dress. And what's alarming about that is that it is so easy for Christians, the people of God, to adopt the standards of the world, to be pressed to the mold in how we dress. Well, this morning, I want to try to help us to break the mold. I want us to be ready to say no to the world's standards of clothing and be ready to say yes to God's standards. And the way that I want to do that is by simply asking the question, I want to ask the question, what do my clothes say about my heart? Now, I want you to listen very carefully this morning because this is not your standard kind of lesson on modest apparel. I've heard those sermons all my life and oftentimes those kinds of lessons major in how many inches are we talking about? Let's pull out a ruler and let's get a measuring stick here and here's specific items of clothing that you can wear and here's specific items of clothing that you can't wear and very quickly it begins to sound like a dress code and it can almost become legalistic. And of course, people hear that kind of sermon and immediately they get upset and what do they do? They tune it out. La, 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 la. Don't want to hear it? Not going to hear it. Well, I believe that when we do that, what we're doing is we're actually starting in the wrong place. You know, we can't begin with the outside and then expect folks to make dramatic changes, can we? No, that's not how that works. It has to start where? It has to start inside. I need to examine my heart. How can I dress in a way that tells others that I have a heart for God? What should I wear so that my clothes are making the same statement as my heart? This morning, I'll be very clear, I have no intention of raiding your closet. But I do want to attempt some radical heart surgery. I want to propose several questions that you and I need to be asking ourselves whenever we get dressed, whenever we go shopping for clothes at the mall, or whenever we open up the wardrobe of our closet doors. Questions that will help us so that my clothes are saying the same thing as my heart, that I belong to Jesus the Christ. Are you ready for that? What are my clothes saying about my heart? And let's just begin that by talking about our relationship to the world. Number one, what do my clothes say about my desire to be different from the world? I'm looking for 1 John chapter 2. In 1 John chapter 2, over and over, the Bible tells us that God's people are to be distinctive. That we're to be different. We are not to be like the world. We don't share the world's values. We don't see things the way the world sees them, which is why John says in 1 John chapter 2 and in verse 15, he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride in possessions, it is not from the Father but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. I really cannot emphasize this enough. This first principle undergirds everything that we are as Christians. God wants us to come out and be separate. That our hearts are not with the world. Our hearts are with the Lord. Yet even as I say that, there is the recognition that that is always a struggle, isn't it? You know, we are social creatures and so we desire to fit in. We seek the approval of others around us. We want to be like the people that we are near and dear to. But as Christians, Christians, we have to grow past that. We have to break free from that mentality. We do not seek after the approval of this world. What we're seeking is heaven's approval, which means then that we have to make different choices than the rest of this world. And so, for example, if you're walking through the store, walking through the department store, walking through the clothing store, and you see articles and garments of clothing, and there never enters your mind the thought that, oh, that right there, I can't wear that. Oh, no, I would never be wearing that kind of clothing out in public. If those kinds of thoughts have never entered your mind then something's wrong there. That's a red flag. As Christians, if we don't have some kind of a a filter to separate out worldly things, then we run the risk of becoming like the world. Look with me in Romans chapter 12, please. In Romans chapter 12, Paul builds on that important idea that John has set forth. In Romans chapter 12 and in verse 1, when he says, I appeal to you, I'm begging you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that just screams at Christians to be different from the world. You know, sometimes we read that passage and we maybe have a little bit of difficulty with making application of that verse. You know, well, does this verse mean that since worldly people drive cars, that I need to be different from them, so that means I need to go Amish and I need to be on a horse and buggy. Is that what that means? What's the deal here? How can I be different from the world as Romans 12 is talking about? Well, I have a suggestion. I'm going to suggest that you can apply Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2 by being different in how you dress. The world loves to dress provocatively. The world loves to show more, bear more, expose more. The world loves and strives to be sexy in its apparel. Why, the world is all about clothing that draws attention to the human form, to the body. Well, good news, Christian. You can be different from the world by refusing to dress like that. You can dress differently. In fact, can I add to this discussion a word from Jesus in Matthew chapter 5? Would you find Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount... Jesus talks about the problem of a sexualized world where lust just runs rampant. You know, I think there is a temptation from time to time for folks to just kind of shrug their shoulders and say, this it really isn't that big of a deal to me. It's not really that big of a deal how you dress, you know, it's just whatever. But it's not a whatever thing to God. In Matthew chapter 5, I'm reading here in verse 27, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. What about that sounds like this just isn't that big of a deal to God. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Throw it away. Would it be fair to say that if my apparel causes someone to sin, that I ought to get rid of that? That I ought to throw it away? The world, the world says, oh, tough luck. I'm going to do what I want to do. These are my rights. That's your problem, buddy. You got a lust problem? That's on you. That's not my problem. You know what Christians say? Christians say, I don't want to be guilty of leading someone, causing someone to sin, so I need to be different. Look with me in James chapter 1 now. In James chapter 1, it is amazing just how often the Bible sets forth this idea of distinctiveness, of separateness, that Christians are different. We are. We're just so different. In James chapter 1, James says in verse 27, James 1.27, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and then notice this, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. While the world is out there saying, hey, if you got it, flaunt it. God's Word is exhorting us to say, no thank you. I don't want any part of that. I am different. I will not dress in a way that causes me to be stained by the world. Remember, it's not about your clothes. It's about your heart. Do you have a heart that desires to be different from the world? As we think about that, let's think about this second question. And that is, what do my clothes say about my heart and about my pursuit of modesty? The passage, of course, that I'm looking for here is in 1 Timothy chapter 2. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, you know, so much of today's fashions are just intentionally designed to be provocative but for the christian and especially for the christian woman that can never work it can never work because of what the bible says very plainly in 1st timothy chapter 2 and in verse 9 in 1st timothy 2 and in verse 9 paul says there likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control Not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Can I draw your attention to that word modest here? The term modest means decent. It means to have a sense of shame. And I really like the idea of of decent. You know, Growing up, some of you have maybe had the experience of of your mom or dad maybe wanting to come into your bedroom, but you had the door closed. And so before they came into the room, they knock, knock, knock. And then they would say, hey, are you decent? You remember hearing that? Maybe I'm kind of dating myself a little bit, but I remember hearing that from time to time. Hey, are you decent? And we know exactly what that means, don't we? In fact, if you were in the middle of changing your clothes and somebody just blundered into the room, that would be awful, wouldn't it? That would be embarrassing. Why? Because you weren't decent. This term modesty refers to that sense of decency and propriety. In fact, let me add to that. Let's build on that. Look in the Old Testament in Jeremiah 6. In Jeremiah chapter 6, Jeremiah is speaking to the people of his time who it seems were not very much interested at all in modesty and decency in their lives. And so the Lord says to them in Jeremiah 6 and in verse 15, He asks, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. There it is. Modesty is a feeling. It is a feeling of comfort and security that I am doing right, that I am honoring God, even in how I dress. And not only am I comfortable, but also I'm not making anybody else uncomfortable. In fact, the term modesty even carries with it the idea of self-respect and being respectful of others that I respect myself and I respect others and I'm going to show that in how I dress. I must candidly tell you, I have never understood, never for the life of me understood, how if you walked in on a woman who was wearing nothing but her underwear, she would be mortified, she would be embarrassed, she'd be covering up, oh, oh, get out of here, get out of here. Yet many times that very same woman can put on a bathing suit which oftentimes has less clothing to it than underwear, and she can go down to the beach or she can go down to the local pool and she can walk around and parade in that and not even blush. How is that possible? Well, what sense does that make? That's not decent. That's not modest. Every Christian, and especially every Christian woman, needs to take 1 Timothy chapter 2 and they need to make that their first stop whenever they open up the closet or they open up the drawer, when they go to the shopping mall, when they're standing in front of the mirror. that I am a Christian. And so what I wear, it must be decent. I could never be modeling the world's values. I don't ever want to cause someone else to stumble and so I'm going to be modest in my choices And in particular, in what I wear. Now, I want to be very clear right here. This is not something that preachers just dreamed up one night and said, hey guys, let's get together. Hey, let's pick a topic that we can preach on and it'll just really tick people off. Hey, can you think of something that'll just really make people really, really mad? And somebody said, oh, I know, let's talk about clothing. No, that's not how that goes. Women have understood about this idea of modesty and propriety and decency for a long, long time, even separate and apart from the teaching of the Bible. I can actually give you a good illustration of what I'm talking about here. On January the 23rd, 1961, the Portuguese cruise ship Santa Maria was taken over by Dutch terrorists. Their intent was to sell their boat to Africa. They had some political agendas and so forth. But for several days, that entire boat was under the control of these evil terrorists which no doubt was terrifying to everyone who was on the ship. The women on the boat though kind of got together and they wanted to kind of make a pact and make a vow with one another. They decided that they didn't want to do anything that would come off as being provocative to those terrorists. And so all the women, they agreed together that they would not wear short shorts, short skirts, halter tops, or swimsuits. Now, I want you to understand, this was not a bunch of Christian women. No, it was a bunch of worldly women who just prior to the takeover were gladly wearing all of that kind of attire on the boat. But now that that boat had been taken over by evil terrorists, they said, you know what? We don't want those evil men looking at us like that, so we're going to dress modestly. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? I'm going to say right now that a woman who is a Christian shouldn't need a terrorist to help her make and come to that kind of a conclusion. A woman who is a Christian Ought to already have a heart that is pursuing after modesty. That I am going to dress in such a way that shows I have a heart for God. That I am interested in being adorned inwardly in such a way that is very precious in the sight of God. And I even want to pause right here and make certain that you understand that 1 Timothy 2 verses 9 and 10, that's not some kind of a, well, that's kind of a good idea especially if you find yourself in a hostage situation and you don't want to incite lust in a terrorist. No. No, 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10 is not something that you maybe sort of kind of want to get around to doing that at some point. No, that is a command of God. It is not optional equipment. Modesty is something that every Christian, and yes, that includes guys as well, every Christian must pursue because remember, not about your clothes. It's about your heart. That's what we're talking about here. Which brings me now to this third question. What do my clothes say about my heart and about my efforts to not get close to sin? You know, whenever we talk about modesty, it doesn't take long before somebody says, okay, 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 just, all right, I get that, but but just where exactly is the line? Hey, you just show me the line. That way I'll know exactly when I've gone too far, when I have crossed the line. And why do people want to know where that line is? It's because they want to know just how close they can get to the line without actually crossing over. They want to cozy up and get as close to that line as possible without going into full-blown, worldly, pagan, sinful practices. I want to find out how much I can look like the world, dress like the world, without it just being outright, downright sinful. Well, I'm going to suggest to you this morning that that kind of thinking indicates that there's something wrong with your heart. That that's what's going on there. You know, is there any other part of life where we deal in those sort of of minimums where we see just how close we can get to danger? How close we can get to something that's bad and awful? You know, think about it. Nobody says, hmm, I wonder how close we can build our dream home to the city dump. You know, how close we can get to it without actually smelling the foul odors that come from the dump. You know, I think if we got, if we got this close, you'd hardly even notice it. I, I think we could do that. No, nobody does that. Nobody calls up social services and says, hey, what's the bare minimum parenting that I can get by with without you folks coming down here and taking my children away from me? You know, do you really have to feed those kids three times a day? That seems like an awful lot. It seems like maybe one or two times a day ought to get it done. Do I really have to do that? No! Nobody says, let's deal in minimal standards. What's the least that I can do? How close to something disastrous can I possibly get? Nobody does that. And so what does it say about our hearts when we want to get dressed in such a way that says, hey, how close can I get to the line? How close can I get to immodesty? How close can I get to worldly ways? How close can I get to that without completely falling over into it? That isn't ever going to work. That isn't ever going to work if, number one, if I'm seeking to be different from the world... And number two, if I am pursuing after God's standard of modesty. Look with me in James chapter 4, please. In James chapter 4, James deals so well with this idea of of getting close to sin. In James chapter 4, look at the instruction that James gives in verse 7. In James chapter 4 and in verse 7, James says this, James 4 verse 7. He says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, can we really say that we are trying to resist the devil when we are getting as close to sin as possible? No, of course not. That's why James says, get as far away from sin as possible. How do I know? Verse 8, draw near to God. If we're drawing near to God, that means we're running in the opposite direction of sin. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Let's just be candid. What happens whenever we try to get as close as we can to the line on this clothing thing? You know what happens, don't you? What happens is, is that what was maybe barely modest when we were standing up and we were looking at ourselves in the mirror, very quickly became immodest whenever we sat down or whenever we bent. You've seen that happen before, haven't you? Somebody maybe sits down in a seat and they start, they start tugging. They start tugging there at the hemline. They start tugging and tugging and tugging and wiggling and squirming in hopes in hopes that more material is just going to miraculously appear. And yet, no such miracle ever occurs. And so here what we have is we have something that may have been kind of borderline whenever I was standing up, but now suddenly lots of leg is being shown. Maybe even more than I'm comfortable with, which is why I'm doing all that tugging and pulling and yanking, because I know that something is wrong here. It feels wrong. Well, well, what happened to that comfort? What happened to that security, that decency, that sense of respect for myself and for others? Well, all of that, all of that went out the window when we tried to get close to the line, and it just created all kinds of problems. Look with me in Proverbs chapter six. Here's a verse that'll bust your getting close- to-the line mentality. In Proverbs chapter six. This is what the wisest man who ever lived had to say, "What happens when you try to flirt with sin and you try to get as close to the line as you possibly can?" In Proverbs chapter six and in verse 27, the wise man says, Proverbs 6:27, he has a couple of rhetorical questions. He says, "Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothing not be burned?" Answer. Nope. Verse 28. Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Answer, nope. You mess with fire, you're going to get burned. That's just bound to happen. Which is why our attitude can never ever be, Oh, how edgy can I be in my clothing? how, how, How close to the line can I get? How low cut can this shirt be? How short can this skirt be? How tight can this outfit be? It's not about how close to the line can I get because remember, remember it's not about your clothes. It's about your heart. Which will lead me then to this final question this morning. What do my clothes say about my heart and about my commitment to living full-time Christianity. You know, the truth of the matter is, there's a lot of people who will agree with the first three points that we've made this morning. That is, that is until they find themselves in a situation or in an environment where it's no longer convenient to do so. For example, someone maybe says, well, yes, I want to be different from the world. And yes, I want to pursue modesty. And yes, I do not want to get close to sin, but but I'm getting married soon. And this wedding dress that I found, yes, even though it is kind of revealing and it is kind of, it's kind of pushing the envelope a little bit, it is so beautiful. And besides, it's it's my wedding day. It's my one special day. Or somebody maybe says, "Oh, well, you know, I've I've been invited to be a part of this really fancy banquet." You know, it's really nice. It's kind of an upscale sort of get-together and gathering. And you know what? It's really hard to find modest banquet attire. And so, yes, I will be wearing something that might be pushing the line a little bit. But hey, it's a, it's a one-time event. Or maybe somebody else says, Well, I really want to try out for the volleyball team. Or I want to try out to be on the school cheerleading squad. And even though those uniforms are really, really tight and form-fitting, and yes, they are really, really skimpy, well, well, that's just part of being on the team. You know, It just kind of goes along with it. I mean, everybody just expects it. Or maybe this. Maybe here's one that'll hit you. Maybe someone says, yeah, well, well, we're taking a family vacation and we're going down to the beach. And of course, we're going to the beach or we're going to the public swimming hole and of course, all the guys, all the guys are going to have their shirts off and just be wearing their swimming trunks. And all the girls, they're going to be wearing their form-fitting bathing suits and their exposed midriffs and their thighs being exposed. And you know what? That's just the acceptable thing to wear. That's just the accepted attire to wear in that environment. And so, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do that so I can fit in with everyone else. Do you see a problem there? Do you see maybe a conflict of interest? Do you maybe see some inconsistency there? That suddenly, somehow, all of these biblical principles that we've talked about this morning that govern how we dress, and I'd like to think that everybody can agree on, suddenly all of those principles disappear. They get thrown out the window. Why? Because now I want to do this certain activity. Now I'm going to this certain place and doing this certain thing. That I need to give careful consideration to my clothing, yes, when I'm in this environment. And yes, I need to care about what I'm dressed like and, and what I wear when I do this or when I go here. But of course, when it comes to here and here and over here and when I'm doing that over there, well, God's rules don't apply in those places. Where's the Bible ever teach that? Where does the Bible ever teach that kind of on-again, off-again, part-time Christianity? That I don't really have to worry about dressing in a way that glorifies God in this situation, that situation, in this situation over there. Where's the Bible ever teach that? Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1, here's what the Bible teaches. In 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 14. You want to find some consistency? Right here is your consistency. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and in verse 14, Peter says this. 1 Peter 1 verse 14. Peter says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the, former, to the passions of your former ignorance. Verse 15 now. But as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct. You listen to me very carefully. You listen to Peter very carefully. There is never a moment where you can say, Okay, okay, hey, okay, time out. Time out here. I don't have to be holy right now. You know, I, I call time out, don't you see? I'm in this special place. I'm doing this certain thing. I don't have to be holy right here in this moment. no is no time where we can remove the armor of God and then I can put on the uniform of the army of Satan. No, we are called as the children of God to have hearts that are dedicated and holy to the Lord, which means that that has to permeate how we dress all of the time. All the time. And I'm always amazed at people who just don't seem to get that. Especially when Christians don't get that. A couple of years ago in California, there was a man who attended high school football games with a video camera. As he was there, he shot video of the cheerleaders in their short skirts and in their bare midriff uniforms. And he would oftentimes, in those videos, focus very carefully. On the girls, whenever they were jumping or whenever they were flipping or whenever they were gyrating their bodies in certain directions, he oftentimes would even freeze-frame the shot so that you could get a good look of that young lady. Then, of course, he took all that footage and he put it on a DVD. And he sold it on eBay. He sold it as a hot cheerleaders video and he made a lot of money. When parents found out about that, the parents were outraged. I mean, they were just throwing a fit. They wanted that man arrested, but they couldn't arrest him because he wasn't a peeping Tom. He hadn't installed some hidden camera in the locker room. No, he just took pictures. He just took pictures of what everybody there saw when they were there at that game. One cheerleader actually said, She said, I won't feel comfortable going out on the football field in my uniform like that ever again. Well, good for her. But did it take a creep with a camcorder for her to figure out that men like to look at women in short skirts and jumping around? Really? Is that what it takes? I'll say again, there is no time when a child of God says, oh, I'll just be immodest here. No, there's not any time. Not any place where I am not subject to the reign and the rule of Jesus Christ the King. There is not any place where I am not to be that living sacrifice that Romans 12 talked about. That I am to honor Christ in my heart always. And that is that is something that needs to be reflected in everything that I do. But in particular this morning, that is something that needs to be reflected in how I dress even at a wedding, even at a banquet, even on the ball field, even at the beach, anywhere I may be. And the fact of the matter is, if I can't do that activity without conforming to the world, without being immodest, without getting close to sin, without compromising my Christianity, then guess what? Mm -hmm. Then I don't need to be involved in that activity. Because remember... It's not about your clothes. It's about your heart. One more verse this morning, and the lesson will be yours. We began in Proverbs. Let's end in Proverbs. Would you go back to Proverbs again? In Proverbs chapter 4. In Proverbs chapter 4 and in verse 23. If everything that we've talked about this morning begins and ends with the heart, then we need to be making certain that we are protecting the heart. And that's why Solomon says in Proverbs 4 and in verse 23, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. I'm asking you right now, brother, sister, friend, I'm asking you to inspect your heart. Have you guarded and protected it from being contaminated by the wicked influences of this world? Or have you allowed Satan to creep in and maybe to very slowly and subtly corrupt it and as a result that has affected your choices? It's affected your choices in how you talk, in what you put into your body, the activities you involve yourself in, the company that you keep, and yes, maybe even the clothing that you wear. I'll say what Solomon says. Everything you do, flows from your heart. You better examine it and then you better protect it. Can we go to God in prayer about that right now? Would you pray with me please? Our dear gracious God, we come before you this morning begging and asking for your help. Father, at a time when our world seems to have lost every sense of propriety and shamefacedness. We are surrounded on every side by influences that threaten our holiness and our relationship with you. Father, we are asking that you will help us to not give in to those pressures. Father, grant us the courage to be different and to flee from every appearance of evil. Increase our desire to pursue after modesty and shamefastness. Help us, Lord, to be holy and fully and completely committed to you, Into Your way, and to recognize that Your way is always best. We thank You so much, Father, for Your Word that guides us in our decisions and it equips us to be adorned with godliness. We thank You so much for Your Son who helps to make our hearts pure from sin and provides the way for us to be in heaven with You someday. And it is through Him and His precious name that we offer this prayer. And amen.